don't look back because the market is closed. Good Tuesday afternoon, everyone. Tyler Harrod here with you for today's VRA Investing Podcast. Well, the summer doldrums roll on today as our major indexes tried to show some life throughout the day today after some economic news this morning, uh, retail sales data that we'll cover here in a minute. We also got more data out of China and a little bit of an unexpected rate cut there as well. Uh, But overall, for this market today, it makes sense that Kip had the podcast yesterday. Uh, You know, nice update for him. Coming right back on the other side to me getting the down day. I guess we're back into our traditional pattern here. If you've been with us for a while, you know this is kind of an ongoing joke between Kip and I that he always seems to get the up days where I get the down days. And not only the down days, but the bad down days as well. I could tell you, we probably could do a whole podcast on just my down days, whether it was the December 24th sell-off, the Christmas from hell as we've coined it uh, after Jay Powell was hiking rates in 2018. Uh, even a lot of the COVID crash days, you know, where we saw the market down 5% plus, multiple trading halts kind of days. I got those days. Kip will get the day after. We got a little bit of a bounce back uh, in between there where the markets would rally big to the upside. Those would, Kip got those days and I got the big down days, of course. Uh, but, but just kind of an ongoing joke here. Uh, our markets tried to social life today's uh, today. Uh, buyers just did not emerge in full force, especially this morning, though. We've got a couple of attempted rallies. Unfortunately, we finished at the lows of the day today. But let's take a look at this morning as we got the latest look at retail sales data. Uh, good numbers here this morning, really affirming the strength of the consumer here as really across the board beating expectations. Overall, an increase of seven-tenths of 1% versus the estimates of four-tenths of 1%. That marks the biggest increase in retail sales for the last six months. A little bit of that is probably some back-to-school shopping early in July. There's also Amazon Prime Day in July, but those things don't matter. What matters is that the consumer remains strong here. Retail sales ex-auto also up a full 1% versus estimates of four-tenths of 1%. Uh, It was also the highest export month-over-month increase for 2023 as well. Uh, So overall, the consumer remains strong and right on cue, the Atlanta Fed continues to raise their GDP estimates, now on track for a 5% annual pace of uh, GDP growth for the Atlanta Fed. So what recession are we talking about here? Now, on the flip side of that, a lot of people are saying this gives the Fed more ammo to continue to raise rates. Uh, I'll touch on that here a little bit more in a minute. But at the end of the day, what we want to see is a strong economy. And if we can get a 5% annual pace of growth for GDP, that'd be very impressive. Uh, <clears throat> so kind of going back to the Fed, as you may have expected on that news, GDP going higher, retail sales looking strong, yields jumped as well this morning. Uh, They finished higher on the day as well. The 30-year mortgage rate hit its highest level since 2000. Um, And again, a lot of people are looking at this as supportive of future rate hikes. The 10-year yield was up 
just under nine tenths of one percent now at a 4.22 i will point out that's below the october high of last year in yields that's kind of the last major resistance point that we have left kind of in this really four and a quarter to 4.33 is right the area where we'd expect to see a top uh in yields that's where we would like to see here uh but we don't see this as a reason for the Fed to continue to raise rates. If you've been tuning in with us here for a while as well, you know, we've said these last couple of rate hikes were a mistake. They should have stuck to the June plan to continue to pause, mainly because of the lag effect. We still have not felt the full effects of the Fed raising interest rates of five percentage points fully um, in the market. It takes 12, at least 12 months for those effects to be fully felt. Uh, so no, we do not think that the Fed should continue to raise rates here, but we know that Jay Powell is an increase becoming more increasingly unpredictable here, which is not a quality that you want in your Fed chairman. I can think of a few positions you may want that as a quality. Most of them fall under the category of jester or comedian, not Fed chairman. Uh, so that's not what we want to see from Jay Powell. Fortunately, for the month of August, uh, though we're meeting in Jackson Hole, so we do have to listen to them speak for some reason. It's unfortunate, but they don't make policy decisions uh, typically in August, so the next meeting will be for September. Uh, and for everyone talking about the Fed maybe raising rates, the CME FedWatch tool, as of today, is targeting, still actually has gone down 11.5% of uh, 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 probability right now for the fed to raise rates a quarter basis or a quarter percentage point excuse me 25 basis points in september uh with an 88 and a half percent chance now to stay where they are we'd like to see that be the case and then we get to skip another month though we don't have an october meeting uh and then the november meeting really the majority is leaning towards the fed staying where they are now especially when you have Fed president is starting to come out and talk about rate cuts early next year. And also, I'll point out in the November meeting is the first time, um, excuse me, it's the December meeting is the first time we have any likelihood, according to this, and, you know, a lot could change between now and December, but already an 8% chance of a rate cut in December of this year on the CME FedWatch tool. Uh, so we'll be continuing to watch that and report on that here. As I said, though, yields up today, we want to see that peak from last October hold. All right, so also moving on here, the updated data that we got out of China today showing that their economy grew less than expected. Uh, so less than stellar data from the country, really not, I mean, not negative numbers, just not as good as they saw in June. Uh, I guess you could say it's heading in the wrong direction. Uh, but then China also cutting rates today, not by a lot, 15 basis points. I believe that's on their, their one year. Uh, you know, still familiarizing with all, they cut rates in one other category as well. And then injected roughly 55 billion US dollars of liquidity into their economy. Now, hey, we'll, we'll take that as more fuel to the fire for this liquidity-led bull market that we see. But what's so interesting about this China data, and Kip has talked about this as well, we now have everyone in the financial mainstream media talking about this slowdown in China. Our question to that would be, when did we start to trust 
data out of China, right? For years when their GDP was running red hot, some 10% a year, all the financial analysts said you couldn't trust their data. But now when you have data that feeds into your narrative, we all of a sudden trust the Chinese data. That is called manipulation through statistics, right? They're just, or I believe the book was called uh, Lying with Statistics uh, is kind of how it goes. That, you know, if, if the data goes in their favor or they can cherry pick their data here and there, they'll use that data then. But as soon as it goes the other way, they just forget about it, move on to the next piece of data. Oh, we look at this now. We don't look at that anymore. It's exactly what they failed to mention in this recent credit card debt statistics. You've likely seen this by now. We've talked about it out here on the podcast as well. Credit card debt in the U.S. topped $1 trillion. That's a big, scary number. That's what it's intended to do, to scare. What they fail to mention is a few things here. First, if you adjust for inflation, then total credit card debt is below what we actually saw in 2018 when you adjust for inflation. It was actually higher than it, than we than topping $1 trillion. Again, adjusted for inflation. Debt is a percentage of disposable income lower than levels we saw 20 years ago. Still basically at 20-year lows. Just just as barely come off of that data and pulled back in the most recent report as well. Delinquency rates, 30-year lows. So what do we have to be concerned about here when credit card debt tops $1 trillion? That data piece, that data set tells you almost nothing when you don't put it into context with these other data points. Lastly here, credit card debt may have topped $1 trillion, but how much credit limit do we still have out there? Well, Americans have roughly $4 trillion worth of credit card limits. So if we're at $1 trillion right now, that means there's $3 trillion of available credit out there right now. Now, you should definitely still be paying off your credit card debt. Don't, don't get me wrong here. I'm just saying that the, with delinquency rates this low, uh, the, the percentage of disposable income spent on debt and the amount of debt we could still take on, you know, that's these are pretty good data points here and really takes a lot of the fear factor out of that $1 trillion number. So don't, don't fall for the fear porn out there. There's so much of it and it's only increasing. And, you know, the bright side of this would be that we've now entered one of the slowest periods of the year. I was going to talk about this here in a minute, but just go ahead and touch on it now. This August to September period, historically one of the weakest times of the year, right? Uh, So what this kind of data does is it scares investors. We'll start to see it show up in sentiment data. We saw it today. We saw it yesterday, the put call ratio finishing above a 0.9. Today, spend a lot of the day above a one. Anything above a 0.7 is considered bearishness. Above a one is really excessive bearishness out there. We'll probably, we've already seen it show up a little bit in AAII. Um, Last week, we got a slight drop in bulls. It's going to be really interesting to see what that does this week. The fear and greed index has also considerably fallen from here, still in a greed territory, but any more of a pause, and we're going to shake out a lot of weak hands here, and those are shares that we'll be looking to pick up on the cheap here, uh, and so I'll get to that a little bit more in a second on our outlook 
from here. Kip covered it great yesterday as well. So if you haven't had a chance to listen to his podcast from yesterday, I highly recommend it. Back to China here to kind of wrap that up, though. Uh, I will point out on the Newsday, Chinese ETFs and indexes were lower on the day. But we continue to like this highly unloved group. We don't really like owning these individual Chinese names in the long term, but we can take advantage of them here through ETFs. And that's what we've done. We like trading the ETFs. All right, so looking at our market on the day-to-day, we did finish lower across the board. Uh, We were led by, if you want to call it that, the Dow Jones down just over 1% or 361 points to 34,946. Next up here, the S&P 500 down 1.16% to 4,437. Uh, excuse me, I skipped the NASDAQ down 1.14%, basically right about the same as the S&P to 13,631. And lastly, small caps down just under 1.3% to 1,895. Uh, so again, back to the August and September weakness here. Again, Kip covered this great yesterday. And lately, if you're, if you're a VRA member, you know that we took some partial profits. We didn't sell any full positions, sold some half positions, um, cause that's our discipline here. Or we have a certain amount of gains, but by no means are we out of this market? We still own those positions. We'll still be looking to add to those positions in the future because we remain so bullish on this market. We're at the beginning, the early innings of a new bull market here. And so we don't want to try and get too cute with it. We want to be in this market for those big gains. Um, it always seems like when you finally decide to capitulate and get out the next day is a massive rally in the market. But right now in the short term, we think it'll pay to be patient here, especially in this weak time for the market, get a little bit of a shakeout. And when the time comes, we'll be ready to add to positions. Again, we're big believers in monthly dollar cost averaging here. Uh, and we think we're gonna get some good buying opportunities as we head in to the last half of, or well, continue into the last half of 2023. We think it's gonna be a good end to the year for our markets. Um, Next up here, looking at our internals on the day, one of the main reasons we see patience as a good call here, ugly numbers, declining stocks, beating out advancing stocks, coming in over five to one negative for the NYSE, just over two and a half to one negative for the NASDAQ, 52 week highs to lows, also negative here, roughly two to one negative for the NYSE, roughly three and a half to one negative for the NASDAQ. And lastly here, volume coming in with 83% Downside volume on the day for the NYSE, certainly something we want to see improve slightly better on the NASDAQ, but negative across the board today from our internals. Looking at our sectors on the day, as you might expect, all 11 S&P 500 sectors lower on the day today. I will point out, though, we had one leader uh, that's not an S&P 500 sector, but it is a leading economic indicator for us here, uh, a group that we want to see continuing to do well, and that is Home Builders, which were higher on the day today. Let's see the final read here. XHB, the Home Builder ETF, actually did finish lower on the day. Where am I getting? There we go. Sorry. ITB was up seven tenths of one percent, and I'll point out the Housing Index, which is HGX, was also one of our bright spots on the day today. Uh, so exactly what we see: housing and home builders doing well, bucking the trend of the market today. 
So our leaders, if you want to call them that today, healthcare down three tenths of 1%, technology down nine tenths of 1%. From there, it was 1% plus losses on the day. So our laggards, energy down 2.4%, financials down 1.8% on the day today. Uh, finally for today, our VRA commodity watch, gold now down half a percent to $1,933 an ounce, silver down half a percent as well to $22.58 an ounce, Copper down a bigger 1.8% to $3.65 a pound. Let me get a quick uh, look here. For copper, that is its lowest level now in a little over a month. Uh, we'd like to see Dr. Copper start performing better here. And lastly, crude oil, uh, some big drawdowns it looked like. I need to dive into that data as well. Uh, that doesn't help the price of oil. Um, Still holding on above $80 a barrel, down 1.7% to $81 a barrel now. What I'll point out here, energy is a group that we like a lot into the end of the year this year. One of the main reasons for that is rig counts have dropped drastically over the last year with a 14% decline year over year right now. That We've lost 100 rigs in or over 100 rigs in just the last year. Uh, so that is something, you know, as production comes down and demand remains elevated, we're, I mean, take a look at our strategic petroleum reserve. At some point, we're going to have to refill it. Um, and we think that will also continue to send energy prices higher as well. Finally for today, Bitcoin down just under 7 tenths of 1% to $29,197 of Bitcoin. Folks, that's all that we have time for here today. Please be sure to subscribe to receive our VRA podcasts every day at the market close. You can sign up at VRAinsider.com. Click the podcast link at the top, and we'd love to have you with us. Thanks again for tuning in. Until next time, we'll see you back here tomorrow for the close.